0: On this episode of Whale Cave, John Ross Bowie mixes Iron Maiden with Benny Hanna, Brian Finkelstein becomes an indigo head, and host Matt Price celebrates one of his
1: favorite holidays, Record Store Day. Whale Cave starts now. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Whale Cave. My name is Matt Price, and I'm the host of this here podcast. We've been off for a few weeks. I was on my annual pilgrimage to my in-laws in New Jersey, and they don't have any great music stories to record for you. My Aunt Sharon thinks Rihanna is a perfume, everybody. That would be a good name for a perfume, (laughs) wouldn't it? Rihanna by Whale Cave. Uh, Seriously, that would be. Maybe my Aunt Sharon's right. Okay, but I'm back in L.A., and um, thank you for listening. We have... Two great guests today who do have great music stories for you. Uh, John Ross Bowie, Brian Finkelstein, both here. Really excited to talk to them. Um, I'm playing music today from bands who originated in Boston. That first song was by The Cars. It's called It's All I Can Do. and I don't usually talk about current events, and I'm not going to now, except to say that I haven't done a show since the um, horrific events that took place there and... Since I do have some listeners there and some uh, really good friends there, I just want to say, uh, whenever this podcast is released, that my thoughts are with you guys, and I hope you're doing okay. And I hope this podcast can give you an hour or so of respite from what's going on, uh, make you laugh, take your mind off stuff. That's really all I want to do in general in my life. That's all I really want to do. So at that end, I uh, put out a perfume called Rihanna. Those are my goals. I think they're achievable. Okay, uh, in other much less important news, folks, National Record Store Day was this past weekend. A glorious, glorious day for music nerds and vinyl files everywhere across this great land to take to the streets and pick up a special edition Sufjan Stevens 45. Maybe a limited live release by Metric. It's time we all drop 25 bucks on a re-released B-side record. By Stephen Malkmus. And I know I sound insincere. It does. And I'm not trying to. I actually love Record Store Day. That is what you do. You do find those things on Record Store Day. And for me, it's like an early Father's Day because my wife gives me the morning into the early afternoon through nap time to hit four or five stores, maybe go to Zanku Chicken in between, and chat in line with the people at Origami Records being like, Oh, yeah, I had an Audio Technics player for a while, but now I have an Ion 4000. Pretty excited about the sound. And I love it. I love nerding out like that. I love buying records. It is super overpriced now. I think indie bands have kind of figured out that they can make some cash on selling the vinyl and including a digital download for twice what you'd normally pay. But it's cool because I like being out there with my record-buying people. I've made this analogy before, but it's kind of like going to a They Might Be Giants concert. It's just nice once in a while to be amongst the good-hearted, like-minded individuals uh, and I'm all for meeting new people. Look, at my in-laws' place uh, in in Jersey, I met some dinner guests who loved talking about the apocalypse and that we were all doomed. Uh, that was exciting. And then, uh, excuse myself and my and my two-year-old <laughs> from the dinner table, thinking, Eh, nah, maybe we'll we'll pass on this course." Um, but look, when I come home, I just want to go out, grab a rare record store day Blitz and Trapper forty-five that I can only play for my daughter which is what I did last year to show her how cool records are. And that meant a lot to me, seeing her at the record player and watching it spin around and seeing this sort of you know antiquated piece of technology. She's carrying on the vinyl-loving tradition. And then, of course, uh, she always grabs the needle. And last time she broke it, which wasn't great. But it was worth it for the tradition. So happy Record Store Day, everybody. Oh yeah, that was Here and Now by Letters to Cleo out of Boston. I have no idea what they were saying, but I love that song. Uh, Okay, before I introduce my first guest, really quickly, if you like the podcast, please feel free to write a good review on iTunes or email me with any thoughts at matt at whalecave.com. And of course, follow me on Twitter at whalecave. I've noticed recently that I've been getting... An occasional Twitter follower who, who's like a very cute twenty-three-year-old-ish woman who is really interested in whales. Like she lives on some small island off of New Zealand or something, and she's learning. She's looking to learn about whale culture, and then she reads my feed, and I'm imagining she's somewhere like on a boat. Like, why is he writing about Justin Bieber? <coughs> I don't know what accent that was, but then they'll unfollow two days later, and I, I can only imagine the disappointment. If you want to save the humpback whale, and I'm tweeting some picture of Kesha. That's a Kesha reference from Matt Belknap, who's right here. Give me a thumbs up. All right. My first guest, I've been trying to get him on the show for a while. Uh, email him probably every, every what, three weeks, probably? Sounds about right. That sounds about right. Yeah. <laughs> Since we started. Um, totally disinterested, but finally got Not him. true. No, true. no. It's Okay. Well, I'm really glad you're here. Uh, he... He, you can see him on a lot of television programs, um, most notably, or most, I guess, recently, uh, or notably, what would it be? Well, recently Big Bang and Theory. notably. Great. Big Bang Theory. See him often on that. And um, he has a a, a a pilot up on Amazon called Dark Minions. Yeah. Right? It should be available right now. should be available it's right free. now. It's
0: free. It's free to watch. It's a, it's a <coughs> workplace comedy set in outer space. Who wouldn't like that? Yeah, get in there.
1: Sounds like a terrific idea. Yeah, actually Jack- is. John John Ross Bowie is here. Hi. Thanks so much for being here.
0: So glad to be here, man. Finally. Finally. We did it. We made it work. We did it. Awesome. This has been great, man. Thanks so much.
1: (laughs) John Ross Bowie. Good night. Um, All right. I've talked to you uh, about. You're from New York. I am. And I feel like we've talked about seeing shows before. Yes. uh, Yeah, we have. On the streets. Streets of New York. Yes. (laughs) Um, You know, street shows. Yeah, literally.
0: When I was in high school, I went to the uh, Halloween parade in uh, in Greenwich Village, mm-hmm. and the village people came by on a flatbed truck. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. So I have actually seen shows in the streets of New yeah. York. <laughs> That's New York, man. That is New York. Did, was someone actually going, only New York? Uh, no, no one actually in New York says that. <laughs> right.
1: Right. You have to be telling a story about It was New a York.
0: tourist wearing those foam Statue of Liberty thorns. Right. I call them thorns. <laughs>
1: yeah. I have a dark view
0: of this country, yeah. so I've, I call the Statue of Liberty's headdress thorns. That's why you write Dark Minions.
1: Yes. Available on Amazon nice yeah. god damn you're so good at this I'm, so I'm getting smooth this is episode 16 Oh man i'm you super are smooth now
0: fucking captain segway check you out i am
1: <laughs> captain segway worst title ever <laughs> um but you were talking about a show you were going to talk about a show you saw uh fairly recently bless your heart that you think my
0: 37th birthday was recently aren't no. you the sweetest look at you captain look Sweet at you well. captain I, can I can just eat you up <laughs> Um, well you know uh, yeah i was I was really wondering what I was going to talk about because I, I I have seen a lot of shows and i i I was in a band for a while, and i i music 's a big part of my life, but I was thinking so many of like the punk rock stories I have from when I was in a punk rock band are just like. We got to the place and they had no idea what we were talking about. and There was no PA, and so we didn't have a show. Right, end of story. And that's like ninety percent of the anecdotes you get. I think that's pretty universally true for anyone who's in a punk rock band. Right, where you're like booking your own, booking your own shows and such. Um, we did a. Uh, we were the only punk band on a ska bill one time. We died a thousand deaths. Hmm. Thousand, thousand deaths We're not welcome back in Richmond, Virginia ever again. Miserable, <laughs> miserable show. We had to, not only were we the only punk band, we had to get up and they made us announce that the headliners had canceled.
1: Uh, so we had to get up, and would be
0: like, sorry guys, Isaac Green and the Scholars, of course, <laughs> scholars, uh, can't make it down. We're again, we're from New York. And it was like, whoa! And then we just pr- proceeded to play like, you know, 25 minutes of garage punk and just basically were tarred and feathered. Oh,
1: you announced that before? Oh, I think yeah, right. Yeah, okay. then
0: they made us do it. So you're. So you're basically we're your new headliner, yeah, Man. and you won't like us, right? Yeah, and you're all wearing one, suits. two, three, four. That was very much what it was like. Pick it up, pick it up, pick it now. Yeah, that's pretty <laughs> so, punk, though. I mean, it is pretty punk in that it was uh, um, ineffectual and we angered people. Yes, right. indeed. Um, and you were egghead. We were egghead. Yes. Right. Okay. Also available on iTunes.
1: Yeah, I just want to let people leave know. a comment if you want to. <laughs> Five stars. Um, uh, but the, yeah, the story I want, I want to uh,
0: talk about. Um, I, I decided when I picked my t-shirt this morning, I'm wearing an Iron Maiden t-shirt and I'm going to tell an Iron Maiden story. For my 37th birthday, my wife wanted to know what I wanted to do. And uh, I was thumbing through the LA Weekly and there, boom, May 30th, Iron Maiden, mm. Verizon Wireless Amphitheater in Irvine, California. <laughs> Uh, and I was like, I want to, I want to go see Maiden. And she's like, Oh! I was like, No, you asked, you said whatever I want to do. Yeah, I want to get a sitter and I want to go see Iron fucking Maiden on my birthday because they're doing the Somewhere Back in Time tour, where they were just doing the material from their eighties, which, as you know, is perfect. There's mm-hmm. nothing wrong with Iron Maiden's work from the eighties. Now, caveat emptor, Maiden. Violate most of my musical rules. I'm not entirely sure why I like Maiden because Maiden have really long songs, and a lot of them are about the plight of the American Indians. And happy birthday. a lot, yeah, I don't like I, I, for a guy who like really cut his teeth on on pop music, and then when he left pop music, he went to like punk rock, which is even shorter. Mm-hmm. Why what the appeal of like sixteen minute rhyme of the ancient mariner songs? i I don't know what it is about Maiden, but they just, They just don't give a fuck. They're just so theatrical and huge and epic. And I kind of think that if you're not familiar with Maiden, I don't know why you think Spinal Tap is funny. And so (laughs) I said that to my wife. I was like, you know, Spinal Tap, I don't think you fully understand Spinal Tap or, frankly, Tenacious D until you embrace Maiden. Right. She said, will I be bored? And I said, no, you will not, secretly hoping, like, God, please don't let it be a boring show. So, I go online. Did you guys see a lot of shows together? Mm, this is, you know, we have two children now, so the right. short answer is, but fuck no. Okay. But um, okay. we we have, yeah, we've, we've seen some shows together. In your
1: together. courting period.
0: In our courting period, I, right. would, I would take her out. Yeah. Okay. Um, and uh, now what I do a lot is, um, I don't go see a show, but the next morning I go on setlist.fm. Sure. I've and I there. see what I miss. Have you been there? All, it's just uh, the saddest place yeah. in the
1: world, right? <laughs> well, I miss, it's funny, I, I will do that when I'll miss a show because my daughter will, you know, have, some bug and my wife had to work or something, and I had to stay home. And then I'll be like, "Oh, Wilco had a great show." I know, totally. I did it with bowl. Billy Bragg at the L Ray yeah. a couple weeks ago. Yeah. Oh, David Byrne walked
0: out. Oh <laughs> man, shit. Yeah, Setlist FM is uh, is an absolute gift for the the middle aged rocker. So, um, <laughs> the um, so go online. And I was like, you don't even worry, because you're coming with me to see Maiden, I will take care of everything. I go on, I buy tickets. Not only do I buy tickets, I get them for free with American Express reward points. Metal. <laughs> Boom. Horns of the Goat. I'm giving you the devil sign, Matt yep, Price. Yeah. If you if you can't see this, which you can't, it's Horns of the Goat. So I get um, free tickets to Maiden because I've am because uh, got a platinum card. I'm not afraid to use it. Sure. and uh, And... We go down to Irvine on uh, on the night, and uh, we stop off for dinner at a teppanyaki place. We go to Ben Benihana right beforehand because mm-hmm. that's also super metal. We yep. sit with a couple of other like some ten year old having a birthday, <laughs> ten thirty seven. We're having a grand old time, big drink and a big ceramic mug. He flipped the shrimp in your mouth. Sure, he did. Did yep. the little volcano with the onions? Whole nine. Spell his name in oil. Guy absolutely had a show to put on. Okay. Um there was there was it was like sort of a, a an aperitif of the pyrotechnics that we were due to see in a moment anyway. Right. Yeah. Jamie hit was Jamie was thinking really big picture. My bride was thinking like okay, we're going to see levels of pyrotechnics this yeah. evening. That's foreshadowing. <laughs> we get to the show um we um uh we miss about half of uh of uh of anthrax the opening act Bit oh, bummed no. about that mm. um uh, but I had seen them open for public enemy uh, twenty years ago so i'm I'm okay right um uh, am I dating myself horribly so far hope so anyway so we sit well, you down said your age so. nine o'clock it's dark out in Irvine this film comes on a a, a maiden song starts playing, but they're not playing it. Mm. Just comes over the the uh, the loudspeakers, and then uh, and then a film of them on tour, kind of like. And you know the thing about Maiden is that their their singer Bruce Dickinson is a licensed pilot, and he flies the band around on his own jet <laughs> called uh, their their mascot, the guy with the skull on all of their album covers. That guy's name is Eddie, and the plane is called Ed Force One. <laughs> There's a whole mythos around Maiden. They're fascinating. Wow. So they have this, like, basically travelogue of them on tour making silly faces at the camera. They're all, like, 60. Um, and uh, and they're already sucking their own dicks before they've even gotten on stage. They're like, we're awesome. You're lucky to be here. We're Maiden. How are you? Um, and then um, a recorded uh, Winston Churchill speech comes on. <laughs> and as that cuts out um uh, Aces High, which is about World War II fighter aces, they start playing that and they come and the lights come up on stage and there's sarcophagi on stage, but nobody comes out of them, which is a huge misstep, I think. Yeah, yeah. But that might be a nod and an acknowledgement to Spinal Tap. That, that doesn't always work. That if you have eye Sar- on stage, wow. sometimes they will malfunction, so best to just leave them as decoration and ignore their functionality.
1: So this, is, uh, this is already a complicated show. This is complicated. The levels. The, the stage levels. lights have
0: been up for about 30 seconds, and I'm way overthinking this yeah, whole right. thing. I'm also pretty high. Um, the audience is fascinated. It's literally 6 to 60. There's people who have brought their kids to see their first Maiden show. They've really? got huge headphones on to block out the noise, but it's an outdoor arena, so it's not, you know, poundingly okay. deafening. And then there's Far, far older people than I sitting around here. It is probably, I would have to say it's the biggest age breadth I've ever seen at a show. Hmm, okay. Um, Because Maiden's first record comes out in 80. Right. So that's 30 plus years these guys have been doing this particular thing that they do. Yeah, yeah. so, uh, they come out and sure enough, it's just hit, 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 hit. And I, the thing about Maiden is that they're really, for that era of, of British metal, which also birthed like Judas Priest and, and Motorhead comes out of that era, they're really pretty hooky. For all mm-hmm. the, despite the length of the songs. Right. There's some, there's a lot of melody in, in, uh, in The Trooper, for which <laughs> Bruce Dickinson comes out dressed as a red coat, waving a Union Jack. Glorious. Oh yes, there's, r- frequent frequent costume changes frequent frequent pyrotechnics um uh it's just it, it's just and jamie's just sitting there like wow do they know how funny this is and i was like no they don't it's awesome it's fucking maiden so they're it, they're just phenomenal and sure enough they do all 16 minutes of the rhyme of the ancient mariner 16 minutes on and i'm at the edge of my seat i can't get enough of it i am however sitting down i should note um <laughs> Suddenly there's a fire up in, like, the really cheap seats behind us on, like, the lawn seating you can get at the Verizon Wireless Amphitheater. They're starting to, like, set fire to posters and shit. And the fire is, because of gravity and wind, literally starting to rain down on us. So there's explosions on stage, but those are contained. Right. This is not at all. Right. So Jamie's <laughs> like, yeah, no. <laughs> I, I'm enjoying myself, but there there will be limits. So we, we I, I get up and I'm like, well, I just— Here's the thing at the end of the show, Eddie, the mascot comes out on stage and he's a guy wearing like a 14 foot high costume. <laughs> Jamie's staring at me dead eyed, but he comes out and they do the song that's actually called Iron Maiden. And he comes out and kind of dances dead eyed. Nothing. I'm like, OK, fine. And then I add, you know, if we die here tonight, our daughter has like rock bragging rights for the rest of her <laughs> life. She lost both her parents in a maiden show. Yeah. She absolutely will never pay for a drink again in her life. <laughs> How'd that go? We left. Yeah. Um, And as we were leaving, they started a bucket brigade because apparently this Irvine is in Deadwood and they didn't have any (laughs) actual like fire safety things. So there's literally a bucket brigade coming up to put out the fire that's on the lawn behind (laughs) us. We, uh, we, we head out. It's the only place, only, uh, event, music, sports, or otherwise, I've ever seen where there is a, uh, a massive line for the men's bathroom and not really much of a line at all for the women's bathroom. Very <laughs> telling, I thought. Sure. Um, the ratio, though, is probably pretty high. Uh, uh, yeah. yeah. And, uh, uh, and we, uh, got back in our car, having, we missed the encore where they always do Halloween Be Thy Name, which is about a guy waiting for the gallows. Pardo knows it. Pardo's a big fan of that song. He knows what I'm talking about. We're he here. <laughs> um, and, uh, uh, and we, we get into the car having escaped to our minds barely with our lives. <laughs> and I said, Jamie, were you bored? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and she said, no. Wow, and that's Iron Maiden for my thirty seventh birthday. a great A great birthday present, I would say. Oh, it was terrific. Here's where yeah. you should start with. There actually is a compilation called Somewhere Back in Time that will give you like the really choice stuff you need. Bruce Dickinson singing in the band from like eighty to ninety or so, and it's just hit after hit. And go at the very least go on iTunes and listen to it, dear listener. And just taste if you are it. not familiar with Iron Maiden. Yeah. And try uh, and if you're not into like the really bombastic lawn metal, there's a song called Can I Play with Madness, which is three and a half minutes. It's basically a power pop song. It just sounds like a really hard, cheap trick number. Try that. But there's mentions of a prophet and a crystal ball in it. Because they love prophets. <laughs> there's a prophet in every third Iron Maiden song. I'm on the record with that. <laughs> Do the prophecies ever come true? Or there, there's a prophet exists? I will argue they they do come true mm-hmm. because I think that going to Benihana first was a prophecy of the fire that we were going to face <laughs> later on in the evening.
1: That's what I was wondering if that guy maybe followed you and he was sort of he was, he was the, the one who started the fire. Yeah, the teppanyaki was, chef started yeah. the fire up in the lawn behind us. Yeah, saying I was going to ask you. Sure, can I still I can still ask you follow up questions by all means, please. Follow-up question is: When you were was Egghead influenced? They weren't influenced at all by Iron Maiden. That's a different stop. But when did you get into Iron Maiden? Well, no. Here's the thing I'll say about Egghead is that
0: we were influenced by bands that had shtick. We liked it, but we wore matching outfits on stage. Not the same matching outfits all the time, like. But we had like a we all had a closet full of like matching T-shirts and matching NASA flight suits. And matching, uh, bowling shirts that we had, uh, monogrammed with our names. And like, we, we believed that if you were up on stage, you were there to put on a show. Yeah. Sure. And in that regard, Yes, Maiden had a certain influence that we obviously could never afford. We were playing little tiny places with foam ceilings. Pyrotechnics would have been ill-advised. Right. Yeah. We could have great whited ourselves <laughs> repeatedly. But um, a bottle rocket. or two. Uh, yeah. I think at one point somebody actually lit a lighter on stage and that was our bit. That was our. But we so we we appreciate shtick, mm-hmm. even if people don't. I doubt that Iron Maiden ever used the term shtick, <laughs> but they have a shtick. whether they really I mean, the guy took like three costume changes, Matt. Three costume changes during a ninety-minute show, um, and uh, so we weren't maybe musically influenced by Maiden, but I, they're showmen, and I appreciate yeah. that. And we were never one of those bands that would just like kind of stand there and stare at our shoes and and you know wear our street clothes. We always had to like put on a little extra something, right?
1: Yeah, give the audience a little something extra,
0: a little something extra.
1: And was that. That was college, post-college?
0: It was post-college. It was the senior year of college and then a few years into my 20s, yeah.
1: And when you were – because I just talked to – Kinler was just on the show. Mm -hmm. And Brian Husky talked about this too, is that he was into music before comedy. Yeah. And did that – were you the same? Mm -hmm. Were you doing them – Husky and I have
0: talked about this at great length actually. Um, Husky – and I were both in charge of banter for our respective bands, it turns out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and years later, when we ended up in a sketch comedy group together, we talked about that and how it was very much like our way of sort of cutting our teeth to, right. make, to make comedy an easier transition. Because um, even though we didn't sing all the songs, we were still in charge of being the one who spoke to the audience and told jokes when somebody inevitably broke a string and things like that. So uh, I think for... For Husky and I, if I may be so bold as to speak for him, here I go. You should, uh, yeah. I, I think there's a um, the the jump from music to comedy was pretty smooth, especially especially where I was coming from because punk rock is already so goofy and so funny anyway. Especially the stuff I listened to, right, like the Dead Milkmen and the Dickies and stuff like that, yeah. and the stuff that we were kind of aping musically and lyrically. It was a very easy transition to go from there to to doing improv in, in also in places that, you know, were not fire
1: safe and <laughs> right. were occasionally overcrowded. What kind of banter is happening in a punk show? Cause I'm, I haven't seen a ton of punk shows, but well, well, I feel like it's all pretty fast. Well, you know,
0: there's the occasional, you know, we, it, it all, it is all pretty fast. And what we would do is we followed the Ramones rule of doing like three songs in a row, really quick, taking a breath, three songs in a row really quick, right. taking a breath, but things would go wrong. We would break instruments um, we would break strings because we were playing hard, or we just weren't very good, or we were clumsy. Mm-hmm. And uh, um, so you would have to kind of fill the void. Literally, well, sometimes a guitar had to be replaced. Like we had to borrow a guitar from another band. So you would just do stick with the audience. And it would be like crowd work. It'd literally be like, where are you from? Oh, you're all from this town. Okay. So that's done. And you just have to kind of riff wildly like that. And it was, and don't ask me for any specifics because I clearly have none. But, <laughs> um, but it was. Uh, uh, <coughs> You know, once you, <laughs> once you've you've you know been the one punk band on a on an all ska bill, I think it's uh, you don't get stage fright. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, he was saying how, it, or Kindler too is saying basically. Was Kindler, Kindler was in a band too. Kindler was in a cover band, no shit. But they were more rock, and he he writes songs. I mean, he it sounded like he wrote some serious songs. Really? Yeah. And he was at one point. I think. Am I getting this right? That he was gonna he was considering going by Andrew. I don't know. That just made me laugh. Like That is funny. Why is that funny? I don't know. But just to hear, like, that ladies is- and gentlemen, Andrew Kindler. No, that's wrong. That yeah. sounds
0: really weird. That yeah. sounds really weird. Husky's band, Bicycle Face. Well, you talked about Bicycle really, Face, or um, The Face, as he called them. Yes, they were really goofy. Um, they were um, not quite as poppy as Egghead were. Um, they, were they had a slightly more uh, experimental gig to them. Right, But their songs were really funny. Yeah. The songs were really, really
1: funny. The, Talk about uh, Brian Husky, by the way, from Whale Cave, episode five. <laughs> or really? Has been that long? I don't ago. know. If it's, Husky, beat Husky beat me Husky onto the show? Fuck him. Hey, I asked you around episode three. All right, fair enough. Yeah. And he might have been episode six. I don't remember exactly. Uh, were you in the same scene, you guys? You no, I was, North in, Carolina. was down in North
0: Carolina. Right, I, was, okay. I was up in New York. And we never— Oh, you mentioned one Virginia. We, you
1: mentioned Virginia. Yeah, the one time we
0: tried to play North Carolina, it was that show where the the uh, promoter had no idea who we were and there was no PA. And I was like, I called somebody. I called this woman. And she, he goes, oh, yeah, well, you can call her. Here's her number. This is pre-cell phone. So I call her up, and she's a local promoter who had forgotten about the gig and really can't be on the phone right now because she's studying for a final. True story. <laughs> I was like, okay, thank you so much. UNC student, um, so we ended up uh, just getting some beers and going to the dingiest motel we could find in nearby Durham, North Carolina. A lesser band would have gone a, would have gone suicide-packed at that point, I have to say, because it was a dark, dark rock-bottom moment. Did you trash the room like any good band? No, we didn't. We had some trail mix, and it was uh, <laughs> election night 96, so we watched results. Oh, man. Yeah, <laughs> and we just sat around watching and watched like North Carolina political ads, which are beyond terrifying (laughs) and that that was our one time quote-unquote playing in north carolina but then we had a show in georgia that went really well like the following night so so it's not like you guys toured like you guys were a band of some we toured but we toured a couple little small tours around the east coast yeah like like little 95 jaunts you know but that's kind of a big deal i feel like if you're it was, you know, I mean, the the tours were like you you would literally play if you were lucky you'd just play house parties because those were actually far more lucrative and to be some kid whose parents were out of town and they'd set up the uh, basement with a PA or the backyard with a PA if you we were far enough south where they weren't having winter, right? And you could you um, you'd just get up and you'd you'd play and they'd uh, pass a hat. And they'd cover your gas and a few other expenses, and it would be awesome. And then other times you'd play like a club in Lexington, Kentucky, and it would just be – you could tell that the guy behind the bar was running the place and was on coke and had no money to give you at all, and it hadn't been promoted at all. And so you were always much better off doing a house party.
1: Yeah. Infinitely. And when you go from uh, that to comedy or to acting or to – just When did I? Yeah.
0: Well, the band broke up um, and – in, on Elvis's birthday, 1998, January 8th, 1998, which we took as a, a very punk rock thing to do, breaking up on Elvis's birthday. We yeah. thought that was, that had a lot of significance, man. Yeah. Um, and um, uh, if I may change the tone, if I can make this place a little more Paul Gilmartney for a moment, I went through a massive depression after the band broke up, and uh, then started taking improv classes, and uh, the rest is uh, is history. So funny. Not really, it's a footnote at best.
1: I was going through a depression, uh, living with my parents, and my uh, I started taking improv classes in Chicago or here. Chicago, yeah. Chicago, no shit. Improv is the cure.
0: It helps. It really does help. Yeah. I had a couple. Uh, it definitely got me through a, a, a pretty dark time. I remember one morning I, I went in. I had a nine a.m. Saturday class. Mm. It was then that'll put some hair on your chest. That's you know that you mean business. If you make every single one of those those classes, then you're in this yeah and uh I remember there's one morning where I was in the throes of a full on panic attack. like couldn't feel my fingers, but uh soldiered through and uh yeah, do it for a living kind of
1: and now here you are here I am doing a podcast doing a podcast <laughs> and a pilot for Amazon
0: yeah, can't complain
1: it's all happening, man. It's all fucking it's all happening happening fucking maiden I'm really glad you're fucking maiden. I'm really glad you could be here we we connected. We yeah, I'm glad it.
0: this worked out, man. Thanks so much uh, for having us. I love the show. Oh,
1: thank, thank you for saying that. Uh, I think I
0: said thanks for having us because I use the regal we.
1: <laughs> thanks for having us, uh, John Ross Bowe. Everybody, I'm pointing to him. Horns of the goat. Horns of the goat. That was Lemonheads. <laughs> I took a little pause there. That was Lemonheads. I was so enjoying the Lemonheads. And then the silence that followed the Lemonheads. Uh, uh, if I could talk, I'd tell you. They're also out of Boston. Um, and before that, song and <laughs> awkward pause. Uh, John Ross Bowie with his tales of Iron Maiden and Benny Hanna. Two things that always go together in my mind. I was trying to think of what I did for my 37th birthday. I think, I think I was also in New Jersey. <laughs> Uh, at my in-laws, and I think my wife—if I—if I'm remembering correctly—my uh, my wife got me a massage at a at a, a Manalapan, like a Central Jersey massage parlor. And I'm kind of a germaphobe, and I was a little dubious about the massage room. And then I was like, you know, what, relax, dude. That's what a massage is—just chill out, <laughs> like relax. And then I I caught a cold, and I'm pretty sure that's why. Pretty sure it was a filthy massage room in Manalapan, but my wife is doing an awesome thing. I love my wife. Don't know. don't mean to disrespect my wife. God sakes. Okay. Uh, John Ross Bowie. Yeah, you can see him on. Uh, oh, also get his thing on Amazon. That thing, Dark Minions. Dark Minions. He's really funny. Um, okay, another very funny gentleman here. Uh, I met him at UCB. He did my show a couple times. He's an amazing storyteller. He hosts The Moth, which is, a, a one, I think, probably the best storytelling show in the, in, in the, in the world, I was going to say, but definitely uh, in, the, in L.A., um, hosts it all the time, performs in it. And there's a new solo show coming out at UCB on May 30th called Everything is Everything. Brian Finkelstein, thanks for being here. Oh,
2: sure. Thank you.
1: Um, you I was saying we met at UCB and you, you had a, a, an amazing show. Thanks. And uh, I wanted you to come on this show and and regale us.
2: Thanks. I listened to some of this show. Uh, It was weird. Uh, I went to the website and it was littered with a couple of ex-bosses and a couple of ex-girlfriends. And it got very... uh, emotional for me and i had to stop listening for a while to your wait, podcast wait
1: wait a minute wait.
2: i'm not gonna give you specifics if
1: that's the stories were there was a
2: couple of uh, stories told by ex-bosses people i've worked for
1: oh and then okay. a couple
2: of uh, uh stories told by ex-girlfriends oh man yeah it was very weird
1: that is very weird yeah i'm sorry you had to stop i'm sorry that it gave you that experience
2: no, it was, it's fine. I mean, I'm used to that experience on a, right. <laughs> on a daily basis.
1: That was stuff. my goal when I started the podcast. I was like, I want to get a lot of people that Brian worked for.
2: Well, mission accomplished.
1: Congratulations. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I can stop doing it. All right. I'm done. See you later. Um, you had uh, a couple of stories you were, you were thinking about telling.
2: Yeah. I was thinking about music. I, I just listened you know, uh, to John's story about being in a band. I've never been in a band. I don't have any like playing music. i I'm horrible. I find it <laughs> horrifying the idea of singing or doing any music whatsoever. Um, one of your guests, uh, Kit Pungetti, um, yes. she has a birthday party thing where she gathers musician friends and uh, and then they come and they they sit in a recording, uh, like a mm-hmm. rehearsal place and form bands and they all sing songs from the year she was born. In I did that one year and I sang uh, American Woman with like really good drummer and guitar. And I've never... I mean, it felt really cool just to be on a stage. And then you go to a bar and we played at the Silver Lake Lounge or something and there's an audience and I sang that song and it was horrifying, horrifying.
1: <laughs> you uh, mean the song itself was horrifying or your experience? The idea
2: of singing into a microphone in front of musician people uh, in a bar was just like, I, I mean, I was sweating. I, I really <laughs> thought I was going to pass. It was the most horrifying show I've ever done. There was like six people there, but I, I thought it was like skydiving. <laughs> I was petrified.
1: Right. That um, she, I know about that party. I, um, I think that's the best party idea.
2: It's, it's really fun. Except for if you're on stage singing and you're uncomfortable.
1: You're right. If you hate doing it, it's a horrible idea.
2: <laughs> um, but it's fun. So I don't have any of those stories, but I was going to say, I, uh, a weird story is, uh, years ago when I moved, I lived in San Diego. I moved in from New York cause I, I don't know why I moved to a horrible place like San Diego, but I was living there and I was going to college <laughs> and I lived with this guy Luis uh, who was this really good looking dude. Uh, and this guy, John, and he, they were, they were both doctors and they were, and Luis was also a model, also owned a construction company in Spain from his father. Like he was, and I lived with these guys. I mean, he was like the part, it was very intimidating, uh, cause they were better versions of men than I was or am, uh, still. And they, uh, but they they You were super into music And Quadrophenia And we, you know I'd gone through like The normal phases of music I think that people My age go through Like I was At that time I was very into the Smiths And mm-hmm. all that sort of stuff And I'd you know Gone into classical rock And Dylan and all that stuff When I was younger And then Billy Joel Because I was from New York And then uh, and then the, the mod thing, and then that sort of led to the Smiths and all that sort of uh, cool stuff. Uh, and I was wearing eyeliner for a while there, uh, and it ran really into the Smiths smoking clothes and thought the world was sucks, which has carried the, – the ideology is, is still with me, but the music uh, kind of makes me laugh now. But the – I kind of got uh, – at this weird phase where I, I was disconnected because my roommates had this life that I wasn't part of. Uh, and then my friends kind of carried on with that Smiths sort of like weird, they would go to TJ and go to these clubs and we're doing meth. And I was like, so I kind of like fell in between these two groups of friends. And so one night I went to this bar and uh, the Indigo girls uh, had just come out with their first, well, I guess their second album, they had a first album, but it was their first major release, the one closer to find the one that everyone heard. And mm-hmm. uh, I was at a bar and I don't know what it is, about that song or that band or that night, but I don't think I've ever felt more compelled. I don't think I've ever liked anything I've ever seen live comedy plays operas. I don't think I've ever felt emotional the way I did. I got hooked. They were, they were somehow amazing. That song just spoke to me in a very, even saying that sounds retarded. Uh, I hate those like spoke to me or anything spiritual, but for whatever reason and that to me like now and I know that that band has become like a punchline uh in a lot of ways for making fun of things but to me they were amazing and uh, and it was a small bar too so it was kind of cool and uh I was going at the time to um Mesa Community College in San Diego uh which is my on my way to San Diego State but it was a way to get uh you know state citizenship so then you can get school for free in California so I was going to community college and the next I met a bunch of people uh, at the show and we all went to the beach, We went to Jolla Shores and, and, you know, we're hanging out and singing Indigo Girl songs as best we could. <laughs> they knew them. I didn't yet. And uh, and they were playing, I think, the next night in uh, Santa Barbara and they're like, we should go to Santa Barbara. I was like, oh, I got classes and uh, they're like, come on, man, let's go see him. And so started uh, about six months of me traveling around California like a deadhead, but for the Indigo Girls, what? Uh, very strangely, and they were—it was a small band, so it was like <laughs> us and then the Indigo Girls. Like, and I never met them, uh, but I would follow them around and see these concerts, and I was so into it. It was so—it was such like an amazing. And I, <laughs> I think the whole idea that they're now kind of like known, <laughs> like it, you say, Indigo Girls, and then the next thing is like it's very much about their sexuality or them being lesbians, which is weird because. Who gives a shit? But also, that's not in their music, or I didn't know that. And it just went on for a while until eventually I found myself at a show in San Francisco, uh, which was a bigger show. And there was, I clearly was the only like straight guy at the show. Uh, Oh, not the only, but very much in a sea of women making out when it sort of occurred to me that this (laughs) culture had sort of formed around them. And then I felt like ridiculous. I still love the music, but I felt ridiculous like I had intruded because, you know, you have that. Right. That like. You know white, straight, male guilt that we all have, so I was like oh man I'm, i shouldn't be here these guys i'm not i 'm not allowed to be here i 'm <laughs> right. intruding on some sort of uh cultural right that they have, so I left uh the indigo girls um, <laughs> but then, a couple things happened years later uh, I was living in New York, and I knew this guy, Mark sam Rosenthal, uh, who's an improviser and uh we were on this horrible improv team and we hate, we hated it uh, because the people on the team were idiots and young and we were older and uh, we would take the train back to Williamsburg. We were both living in Williamsburg and somehow we just started like on the train one day he was, he had his headset on and started singing to Indigo Girl and I started singing and we both sort of realized. And then we did uh, the weirdest show I've ever done in my life where um, I can't remember the name of the venue, but Mr. Big, whatever that guy's name is, Chris Noth from, uh, uh, Second City owned this place. <laughs> I forget what the name it was called, but it's a cool kind of music venue. And uh, we—I had a friend who worked there, so we we booked it for a night. And me and Mark decided we were going to do uh, an Indigo girl cover band <laughs> in drag. Uh, and so we did. We rehearsed this for like two months and learned songs and guitars. And I, I can't play music, um, but we so we had a backup band playing music, and we had like toy guitars. And then we just sang uh, and we had, for some reason, we had a guy who was a blue man come in full blue man <laughs> outfit playing drums for Galileo. And then we, we rented and this venue the week before, like to give you an, I can't, I can't, for some reason, I cannot remember the name, but the week before uh, David Bowie had played it, like that's the kind of size of the venue. So we did it. And there was a couple hundred people there uh, who came <laughs> to see this Indigo Girl cover show, including my mother, who really thought I had lost my mind. <laughs> one of the things we did, we railed against, it was called the Indigo Girls versus George Bush. Uh, and it was all, we would do these political rants in between about George Bush. I'd like to say, you know, you hear that and I'm like, ah, oh, I was 18, 19 to be that like stupid. Uh, I think I was 30 something. Um, well, no, I was like 31, 32. So at one point we were supposed to do this fake cocaine bit, uh, and Mark had started doing real coke. He did coke during the show. Uh, it, it was a little, the show was ridiculous. My mom thought I had fucking lost my mind. Um, so that's my obsession with the Indigo Girls. And then years later, uh, I started working at this place, Keel's, uh, which is a skincare store. <laughs> and, uh, I worked there for a while and one of uh, Amy from the Indigo Girls mm-hmm. came into the store and I, uh, I helped her <laughs> and I, I, you know, at that store I'd helped, uh, lots. i I, Bill Clinton came in there. I mean, there was a lot of like notable people, but for some reason, uh, Amy from the Indigo Girls freaked me out. And I got super nervous and then I became friends with her uh, and I never could tell her that I had followed them around when I was younger or right. that I had done this show and that I was obsessed with them. And I kind of played it off like I didn't really know who they were, but the store wanted us to give them free products. So. Uh, and she invited – they did a show at Radio City and I you know, went there and hung out with them backstage and stuff and, and to this day I've never told her.
1: <laughs> that I
2: I always like. Oh, I really like. Like she thinks I don't know the songs, and I'm like, I know every fucking word to yeah. every one of those songs. Still,
1: you never met them. So
2: when when we were talking, no, I mean, I wow. they were sometimes they were at the uh, bar afterwards, but I never talked to them.
1: Wow, and you just never had the. Is that just out of your own? Uh, is that your personality? Like you just don't want to sort of break that wall or. or- yeah, I feel that way still, like where if uh, I
2: meet people, you know, who are doing their thing, I don't want to like bother them. I don't want to like, right. you know, I don't want to, I mean, if it's somebody I admire now, I think I, and it's in the same venue or if I'm I sure. feel a little more comfortable talking to people because I feel, but I mean, I was just a fan at a music show. Yeah.
1: Front, yeah. I know after a few times of, you know, seeing her up and down the coast.
2: No, cause they didn't, they would, there was only a few shows where they'd be at the bar and they kind of, out. there was like, yeah, there was like a, separate clicks there was like uh clicks within the indigo girl touring group i don't like (laughs) this story i want to erase this i don't i don't like that i just you don't like it i feel this uh i love it shame
1: no why i I don't know oh yeah this is it's amazing
2: (laughs) uh, um so that's my indigo girl story
1: um (laughs) that's great i want to know about the clicks
2: there were, there was a lot of clicks. It was all women. I guess that's what I thought. I thought I had found like this, like cool, hot, There was a lot of really pretty, like. Sure. And, uh, you know, and I think that was part of the awareness of like, oh, they don't like me at all. They like right. each other.
1: It was the beginning of Lilith Fair in a sense.
2: It was. I was there at the beginning. You were
1: at the dawn of Lilith Fair. That was Sarah I don't think the Indigo Girls ever played Lilith Fair. I think they did. Did, did they? They might've. They probably, might Yeah. Matt yeah. Belknap always checks one fact, nice at least for show. Um, that's incredible. That is not where I thought that was going. Yeah, you really you know, that story you don't know, you don't know, that doesn't make you feel
2: good. No, it does. It just it seems so weird to me that that ha- like, I mean, I, it's like a funny story. Like I get why it's a funny story, but it's like I also quit. You know, I mean, I quit going to
1: college. You know, it's I funny. It's, I didn't put that together in the story. <laughs> As you were telling it, I was so on this journey with you of like, you know what? It lo- sounds like fun. I'm going to go. During that I guess period. I never of, thought you quit college.
2: No, I quit college. And I, my apartment, uh, my friend, uh, this guy, Pags, uh, was supposed to move my stuff out of my apartment and he didn't. And I lost uh, some of my stuff, including like my high school yearbook hmm. uh, and some, some like sentimental pictures and stuff. All, that, that trip cost me. Matt. Sure. Your
1: I'll, friendship with Luis. How did that I don't know.
2: I never heard from him except, right somewhere. I did something like that. He saw some show and then he contacted my dad, and, and I never heard from him. He's. I, f- I expect him to show up on Facebook someday, but I have yet to hear from him.
1: I guess I was looking at the just the glee and seeing closer to fine, city after city. It was pretty amazing. Not the dark side.
2: That music was pretty good. Then they got they went through a very weird phase where they uh, started doing a lot of songs about like uh, dead suicidal female authors and native american culture and it kind of got really boring and self-indulgent but
1: i yeah i only know that i literally i know they're two songs like closer to fine and galileo which that's, i assume were the big hits of that six-month tour yeah galileo was way later oh it was <laughs> matt that's on. not the same album <laughs> everyone knows
2: that <laughs> Galileo was like five albums album? later no What's... Oh. Land of Canaan. Uh, they had a song with Michael Sipe called uh, Prince of Darkness. mm No. Because just... they, they were from Georgia where... REM, that's...
1: Okay. Wow. Well, I, I'm i glad you shared it.
2: Do a lot of people come on this and talk about the Indigo Girls?
1: I, I usually get <laughs> one Indigo sh- st- Girl story per show. I figured. Yeah.
2: I figured I just saw Bowie talk about Iron Maiden. I would try to like, you know, go to the opposite end of the spectrum.
1: Oh, I thought you were going to say cover all the eye bands. Yes, because <laughs> that's pretty much it.
2: In excess. Oh, yeah, you're right.
1: There is another. <laughs> you're right. There is totally another. You're also going to. You 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 said you didn't meet them, but you said you were going to gonna maybe talk about someone you did meet.
2: Oh yeah, I was going to talk about uh, the class. Well, but you don't have
1: to if you don't want to. No, no, if that story. shamed no, I think- you
2: cause I like this story cause I feel like, uh, I want
1: you to feel good here. I don't, oh, you, I feel I don't good. I'm, no, like,
2: I, the shame I came in with, I'm going to leave with it too. The, uh, Oh, great. The, um,
1: you should start doing improv. Apparently that makes you feel better.
2: I almost just started quoting an Indigo Girl song <laughs> to, uh, to, to talk about shame, but I've decided that that's, uh, I've, I've, I've done enough of that. The, uh, <laughs> this because i feel like i hear a lot of these stories about bands about people who meet bands or meet their idols and they're they're assholes and i and i have met some of those i did meet lou reed once who was a complete asshole but i love like that's who he's supposed to be right and uh um he actually told i i told him that i had met him once before when i met him he's like yeah i don't give a sh-. like he was a complete asshole to me but i, I love that <laughs> and i will continue to love lou reed but he but uh <laughs> he's the anti-indigo girl he is the anti-indigo girl except they um, both
1: are very sincere
2: they are and they're or both good earnest. songwriters, except for he can play like no chords, right? Isn't that the thing? He he plays like I don't know anything about music. I don't know why I'm even trying to say the word <laughs> chords. It feels like me trying yeah. to talk about wines. Um, and so yeah, but this is a story about them. A, a good, a, a nice occurrence where I met. Uh, I was working at Kiehl's again. That fucking place. Um, and. I uh a lot of celebrities came in there and then I was uh, Joe Strummer would come in often uh and and get which is weird because it sold moisturized yeah it's weird yeah. that Lou Reed and, and Joe Strummer would come in there but they did um but they also sold like uh like musk oil and like old essential oils that's what it was originally so i think some of those guys were left over from that mm-hmm. although although Josh Drummer came in for like cuticle cream and stuff which is weird um, but
1: he threw in a little musk oil this. what he of, did yeah was a like red cool. herring yeah
2: but he did he bought like sunscreen for his, under his eyes and like uh, masks and stuff it's weird people are weird i'll take care of yourself yeah well no. um <laughs> so he came in uh, a bunch and i had never helped him because there was a there was a Girls, Sheila, who worked there, who was like in love with The Clash, and she helped. Joy Ramon also uh, was a regular. <laughs> Joy Ramon came in like once a week to hang out. He was very weird.
1: What keels? This is in this Manhattan. This is in New
2: York, yeah. Back then it was the only store. Now there's multiple, but this was like the one store. Wow. Um, and so, uh, but I had met Joe Strummer a bunch because through her. And and then one night I went to this uh, cafe in New York, uh, Three of three of Hearts, or Three of Cl- I don't even know what it was called, but it was like an Italian restaurant in the East Village. Oh, Three of Cups. Three of Cups, that's yeah. it, yeah. And I went there on a blind date with this girl that I had met, um, uh, through a friend and we were having dinner.
1: I'm going to have her on the show, by the way.
2: The girl, yeah. um, uh, if you dated her, I'm going to have her <laughs> probably <laughs> Jesus. I, there's, there's, uh, I won't call <laughs> I'll her, will but, talk later. Um, the, uh, so I'm on this blind date and she's horrible. She was like a horrible, horrible, horrible person who said like uh, racist things and super like just super politically against, uh readers. You know what I mean? She was just stupid. And, uh, she, (laughs) I hated her. And, uh, she at one point, but I also was like, I had just broken up with somebody. So I was like, I needed this date and she, um, the food, we ordered food and she got up and she went to the bathroom. Uh, and then she came back and she just like, I was in the bathroom. I was thinking, why are we doing this? We obviously don't have any, what are we doing? And she just just said, thanks. And she walked out. And then like two seconds later, the waiter brought over, Uh, two plates of food and sat down. So I was just sitting there with this food and I felt like an idiot. Uh, and, um, and then as that happened, uh, Joe Strummer and like a bunch of dudes, like rocker looking dudes and his wife who had met come in and this guy, Bob, I I always say his name wrong. Guerin, is that his name? The photographer who took that, uh, picture of John Lennon with the peace sign outside the Statue of Liberty, like one of those classic Uh photographer guys. Uh, and they all came in and they all sat down and like, I smiled and nodded at them uh, awkwardly, and they sat in the corner. And then I could see uh, Joe Strummer's wife uh, look at me like just like I had two plates of food. And (laughs) and she's like, you know, they assumed somebody was going to be there, but this went on for a while. And I didn't didn't know what to do, I felt like. If I leave, I mean, I have to pay. It was really awkward. And so I ate my food also because I'm cheap, and it was pasta. and You know what I mean? You can't put pasta in front of me. So then I uh, was delicious. (laughs) (laughs) And so... I ate like my spaghetti bolognese or whatever. And, uh, and then just like got really sad and almost started crying. Like I was (laughs) just sitting like, what am I doing with my life? I'm in a restaurant eating Mm -hmm. by myself. Like this is like a Kathy cartoon, but I'm like a 35 year old dude. Like (laughs) this is not right. And, uh, and I started to get up to leave and, uh, Joe Strummer came over and said, uh, Hey, uh, what's you know everything okay because clearly i was upset i was like no i i just i think i just got kind of stood up she came but then she left in the middle of the date he's like oh dude that sucks um he's like well why don't you join us uh and i and i sat down at their table and we it was like nine or ten and we ended up staying there till like four in the morning i got so drunk and just had like we smoked in the restaurant and it was it was it was the best it was like super fun night did you bring over
1: the pasta (laughs)
2: i didn't the plate of pasta sat there for a while they didn't know what to do the waiters i remember sitting at their table and looking behind me just being like i should deal with this but i'm sitting at a table with joe schumer so i let it but they kept the table and there was a line of people but they kept the table like the pasta not knowing what to do a symbol a symbol and he was cool guy he was yeah it was really nice i told him a story about the girl and they they said some
1: you know call their
2: names that i you know sure uh, yeah it it was good times
1: oh that's really cool did you ever have any contact with him after that I mean, well, he came... Did he ever come in?
2: He came in all the time, and then and then he would always be like, you know, like, stop and chat to me. And stuff okay, like so that. you and would And then, of chat. course, uh, I actually ended up uh, sleeping with a girl, a girl at Keel's <laughs> because of that Joe Strummer <laughs> situation, because uh, she was oh, obsessed with them, and then she, she, somehow she thought I had found this cool, like, lifestyle where I was friends with <laughs> these guys, and... Uh, Cause she, but she was all messed up, which is where I usually do well with women.
1: <laughs> but since your status shifted,
2: I really should have mapped out a story and had some coffee like John Bauer. Um, <laughs> no, this is, it's great.
1: I want to have her on the show too.
2: My status did shift.
1: Oh, yes. That's amazing.
2: And I was then- also the only straight dude that worked at Keels when I worked there. So it was like always, you know what I mean? Like. I was I was the when they were heartbroken or something bad had happened in their life. I was the only
1: guy there that they could right. You know, seems like the theme of your tales t- today has been surrounding yourself in situations with women.
2: Yeah, I like to punish myself uh, for the Mad Men era of, uh, of of white straight men, and so I make myself the minority to repent. Lesbians and lotions can be your next show, <laughs> perhaps. I don't like the way I just use the word minorities that made me feel like a racist. <laughs> <sighs> Shame is the theme for me.
1: Um, thank you very much.
2: Really? Yeah,
1: really. <laughs> that's, that's okay. Uh, thank you. I love those stories. Those are great. Uh, folks, this has been an educational whale cave that we've had. I haven't had one in a little while. I'm really glad uh, we did this. I want to thank John Ross Bowie, Brian Finkelstein, and Matt Belknap, who did confirm Indigo Girls played every little All right. Um, This is Little Secrets by Passion Pit, another band from Boston. There are many more bands from that great city, uh, which I really, really hope is doing okay. Uh, Thanks so much for listening, everybody, and I'll talk to you next time.